Katrina and Jess are filmmakers. They're producers and writers. Uh, they work at, at storiesforcaregivers.com. They've got a new series on working with dementia patients using a, a process called therapeutic fibbing. So let's find out what that's all about. Katrina and Jess, good morning and welcome to the show. Thanks Thank so much you, for having us. Well, it's nice to have both of you along. It's always lots of fun when we have mutual or multiple guests on our show. The two <laughs> of you are responsible for a series of videos uh, at caregivers, uh, stories for caregivers.com rather. And it's about dealing with people who are who have dementia and uh, and how families and the people surrounding them uh, deal with their uh, their episode. So the whole thing is based on something Katrina called therapeutic fibbing, which sounds kind of cheeky. What does it mean? Um, yeah, so it's it's a term that is uh, yeah therapeutic fibbing is a term that is widely used. Uh, it's also known as compassionate lying. And it basically um, means, you know, meeting the person who's living with dementia where they are. So there's often um, stress and anxiety present for a person living with dementia. And instead of, you know, not meeting that and trying to pull them back into our world and um, make make it so that way, uh, we are meeting them where they are and helping them navigate the world through their their lens and their point of view and in that we mitigate a lot of anxiety and stress for the person uh-huh. living with dementia so it, it, it but it sounds though katrina like it's it's a learned thing because the tendency the typical tendency you've already alluded to it when dealing with someone like that is to try and somehow or another pull them into your reality and in many cases even that attempt just creates more confusion, doesn't it? Yeah, it really can. It can create uh, conflict, confusion, more stress, more anxiety. Um, you know, I think at, at, at first it's maybe normal to uh, for for a person not living with dementia to try to keep things, you know, on our level and our way and how we perceive things. Um, and day to day, when you're caring for someone living with dementia it does present that it's easier to meet them where they are and it mitigates a lot of stress and anxiety for for both parties. Jess, would you agree with that? Uh, yes, and I, and I think I would just add that um, meeting them where they're at means uh, if they think you're Aunt Shirley, you become Aunt Shirley. Or uh-huh. um, if their parents who are long dead are coming for dinner, then you set a, a place at the table for them. It, it, it's being in flow with them and improving with them, which sometimes feels bad because you feel like you're lying. But when you realize that it has an impact that decreases anxiety and stress, um, it, it turns into something very positive. It's quite interesting, too, Jessica, but therapeutic fibbing suggests, as you just said, well, frankly, sometimes you have to lie. But in terms of meeting someone where they are most comfortable it's just a smart strategy, isn't it? Exactly. So how long, uh, Katrina, let me t- take this one back to you because you've dealt with dementia in your life personally. How long did it take you to understand 
that when your mom had dementia and begin to uh, began rather to lose contact with reality and particularly with you even as her child uh, that's a tough thing for any human to wrap their head around how long did it take you to do that and get past it oh that's a <laughs> that's a great question i wish it had taken less time <laughs> than it had um i it probably really took me um, a few years before I really kind of just surrendered or accepted um, that this wasn't going to be the way that I wanted it to be and that I couldn't uh, force it or, you know, control it to go back to the way that it was. And I will say that once I kind of accepted um, this new reality of that she was experiencing, uh, it did. It did make the journey a lot, a lot easier, and a yeah, lot. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. There's, but there's a certain sadness that comes with it too. That's also important to get past because the sadness is about yourself and the fact that my mom doesn't recognize me anymore. That's a terrible situation for any person to be in. But then, of course, that has nothing to do with the with what your mother's dealing with. So that, it's really quite a quite a dramatic adjustment, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was a dramatic um, adjustment because you, you do kind of end up letting go of the person um, more than once at, at different times, right? So yeah. letting go of your mom before, well, while she's still here and alive, but so, so sort of that initial letting go and then letting go of just, you know, other things, uh, birthdays won't be the same, Christmases won't be the same, holidays Definitely. won't be the same. Yeah. So just kind of readjusting to what, what that is in the, in the new reality. And, of course, there is a lot of opportunity. There is sadness, for sure, and there's yeah. an opportunity to create something new and um, still really uh, have joyous times together and laughs and, and moments that, that will last in the, in the mind for forever, until I'm gone, at least, with yeah. my mom. Yeah. Jessica, I wanted to ask you about the filmmaking aspect of all of this at Stories for Caregivers Got Time. You've got, got Conrather. You've got four episodes uh, shot in West Vancouver based on a local family dealing with the matriarch of the family's dementia. How was it as a veteran filmmaker that you are to come into this project and try to put a, a, a whole new face or a, a new dimension of humanity to a really serious condition, dementia? It, it, it's uh, also for me very personal because my mom is living with dementia and uh, we all came into this experience wanting to pay tribute to uh, our moms and our families who are navigating mm-hmm. um, or have navigated dementia. And um, I, I think that the key for us was to try and flip the script and not make it tragic, but find the humor in it and find the grace in it. And that's what we've sought to do with these four shorts um, is to, to tell the story in a way where people are learning uh, new skills, new ways of communicating, but also showing uh, a family that has dysfunction because, uh, let's face it, most, most families do, and, and that's where the humor lies. 
Right. And I wanted to ask both of you, and Katrina, you've already alluded to this, just as we are uh, heading into holiday season, and you've already mentioned birthdays aren't the same, Christmas isn't the same. So for people listening to us right now, uh, dealing with a person in their life who is struggling with dementia and with the holidays upon us as they are about to be, how do you approach, how do you suggest modifying your approach to Christmas so that it's still Christmas for you, and yet for someone who may not even remember what Christmas is, it's also a special time. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, For me, I really just kept things the same um, as much as I possibly could. I still made dinner. um, I still put lights up and decorations and and did all the things. And I feel that that mom enjoyed it. Now, did did the day was there a build up to the day <laughs> that there used to be and gift right. buying and all those things? No, but did we still have a, a special day together or moments in that day together? Yes, and uh, that was so important and felt good. There's still a lot of opportunity to create those memories, and uh, for me, it felt really good to just kind of still keep the same traditions that we had always had as a family. Right, right. And Jessica, final question to you, again, with the, again, the finished product now available, and I will obviously pass along where our uh, listeners can go to see the four episodes that you've shot. But now that you have this experience behind you, are you going to do more? Has this kind of opened any new filmmaking doors for you? Uh, Thanks for that question, Sterling. We are going to do more. We're going to do more for Stories for Caregivers. And uh, we're having a great time imagining uh, where we're going to take the family and what challenges they may face and, uh, and invite more of the funny and, and playful in, into the series. And uh, we also have an eye to um, doing a full scripted series uh, for Canadians. Fascinating stuff. To both of you, Katrina and Jessica, thanks ever so much for joining us this morning. It's great to have you. Congratulations on the fine, fine work you've done. Please keep it up. It does matter, and it does make a difference. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for having us, Sterling. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.